I thought I'd show a couple pictures to help you to establish a truth that you already know. I'm going to try that again. I, I, I thought I might quiz you guys or just sort of show a couple pictures to, to, check, to check in to, that I can establish something in all of our minds that we already know. Is that, is that are we, we good? Ahead of, okay, ahead of time. Um, this, is, uh, this is a message that tells us all what we already know, which some of those are the ones that we really need to hear, right? So, so um, uh, Randy, you got some pictures? Let's see how we, ah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Based on this photo, what can you tell me you're looking at? All right, more than an old plane, it's a what? An F4 Phantom. F4 Phantom. Brian, you got that? Yes, show off. Um, who, who else not named Brian Cardinale knows that? Uh, that's, a, that's an F4 Phantom. But what else? What else? Yeah, exactly. Okay, thank you. See? Yeah, there you go. You're going to be my guy today. I'm going to pick on you. Um, what else do you know? What else do you know about? No, 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 go back, go back, go back, go back. What else do you know about that plane from what you're looking at? It was made in 1966. That's hard to see, but Ken's exactly right. The, uh, the AF has the 66 under it. The 812 probably means what? Yeah, someone told me that that, 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 that number, now I, um, my 830 service wasn't exactly certain with me on this. Someone told me that that's the number in which this plane entered the Air Force in that calendar year. Is that right? Yeah. That, 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 they, that, they, that, they, that they number them that way so that the first plane to enter sort of like on January the 1st or tw- 2nd that was delivered would have been like 01, uh, you know, or 001 or something like that. Um, what else? There's one more thing. Come on, guys. LF stands for? Luke Field in outside of Glendale, Phoenix, Arizona. Very good, very good. All right, skip ahead. Skip ahead. We're going to be here all day with these. Um, what, what, what are these? B-52s, yeah, yeah. They entered the Air Force in, these particular entered in 1960. Yeah, 1960. That's number 32 and 36. Um, And as a testament to the fact that God still uses old things, they are still in service. Everybody raise your hand if you feel like you're old and God's still using you. You probably should, more of you should raise your hand. Um, Yeah, um, none of you raised your hand. You need to raise your hand over there, Mark. Exactly. God, yeah. Old and still being used by God. And these, um, these are uh, uh, at what base right now? Barksdale in Louisiana. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, all right, enough of that, enough of that. Um, you got another one? What is this? All right, give me more. Wh- who said it? It's a What? An Appaloosa, yeah. An Appaloosa is an actual breed of horse. I think it's the only breed of Hold on, stop, stop, stop. Hold on, I'm going to go over here. Tell me more about this horse, Allison. It's not an Appaloosa? It's an Appaloosa, but it's a, it's a, it looks like a, a pony? Okay, yeah. Um, Allison happens to be uh, like a world-class, Kevin, you say as much, I mean like a world-class trainer of horses, and so you're here. This is an, an Appaloosa, I've learned, because I know very little, um, uh, but an Appaloosa is, is a North American breed of horse that, uh, that has either dark splotches on a white body or white splotches on a dark body. Is that pretty close? Pretty, pl- pretty close, yeah. But, but, but a horse person, right? In this case, a horse expert. A horse person 
can recognize the marks on the horse and know stuff about it, right? In the same way that you can recognize the tail. Try the next one. What are these? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Give me more details. What are they? Hold on, this row in particular, this, was, this, this slide was only for them. Tell me exactly what shoe this is. It's, it's the Jordan 1. Yeah, yeah, but I've tricked you. These are the Jordan 1 retros that were released in 2015 with the Chicago coloring, all right? Yes, and you can get these online for $650, <laughs> Yes, yes, or, and some of you might not actually be buying them online for $650, um, but, these, but, but I tell you what, there's an entire generation of people that are looking at this and go, yeah, I know exactly what shoes those are, yeah, and it's okay if you're in the room and you go, I think they're Nikes because they've got the swoosh, right? That counts too, right? Have you got one more? There it is, yeah. What is this? What year? 57 Chevy Bel Air. I, I grew up the son of a dad who never owned one of these and told me that all the time, right? But he wanted to. But he wanted to. That's a Chevy Bel Air. We would, we would see him in Statesboro when we'd go back to, to, to Scriven County where he grew up, and you'd see like one driving by, or, or, or he would even just remember the houses who owned them. And he'd be like, yeah, the Joneses, they had a Bel Air. I wanted one of those, right? But you could tell it because of this distinctive look that it had. This distinctive look. Because, because there are, and, and we all know this. We all know this. There are, there, are, there are marks. There are insignia, right? There are, dis, there are distinctive images, logos, branding. And we can see it and not know anything else and yet know, I know where that plane is from right? I, I, know where, I know where that brand is from, I, I, right? We can see it. But what about a Christian? Can, can, you, can you see one and know it? Can others see it in us? The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5. Somewhere. Oh, there they are. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away and look New things have arrived. He says, and look. I mean, Paul is saying that, that there's something about this newness that has replaced the oldness. There's something about this, this, this new creation that can be seen. What does it look like? John, John Wesley preach that while that while we are made new that sin is still in our world and and in our lives i mean he, he established and we heard it a couple weeks ago with his sermon that that christians who are born again still sin 
but that sin no longer has dominion in our lives, that sin no longer has control over our lives. And that's because, and we heard this last week, that's because of the repentance that we did once and then we must do continually. This is the pattern, the repeated pattern of a Christian, a born-again believer, is, is, is to have sin pull us down and then to, 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 to turn back, to turn back to God with this changing of our hearts and minds. But what does that all look like? I mean, the truth is that we are saved in a second, but that the process of sanctification takes a little while longer. In, uh, in, in John chapter 3, there's this, there's this story that's told of Nicodemus who comes to Jesus to have this conversation uh, at night under the cover of darkness. And he gets there, and, 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 and it's clear that he's got questions. Otherwise, he, he wouldn't have been there at that hour. It's pretty, pretty, pretty well told and understood by the story. But he doesn't begin with the questions. Instead, he begins with sort of these uh, empty phrases and praises of Jesus. We, we, we know that you're a big deal. And Jesus says, look, let's just get down to it. No one will see the kingdom of God unless they are born anew. And Nicodemus says, but... How can I, an adult, be born again into the world like I was the first time as an infant? It doesn't, it doesn't happen. That's weird. And he says, no, no, no. Born anew, not, not of flesh and blood, but of the Spirit. And, and then he says this. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes, John chapter 3, verse 8. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So how can we be certain that we have been born again? John Wesley writes an answer to this question and delivers it in the sermon that he preached and published three centuries ago called The Marks of the New Birth. And in it, right right out of the gate, he outlines three consecutive sentences that establish what he believes to be the marks of the new birth. We believe that we can see and recognize things even from a distance and know things about them, uh, these distinguishing marks. And he says that a Christian carries those distinguishing marks, and it sounds like this. The first mark of the new birth and the foundation of all the rest is faith. And the second scriptural mark of those who are born of God is hope. While the final third scriptural mark of those who are born of God and the greatest of all is love. Faith, hope, and love. And many of us in the room recognize those to be the words that wrap up the the Apostle Paul's 13th chapter, the 13th verse of his great of his great message on love, which is read often at weddings, but it should be read every day by us because love is patient and kind and never jealous or boastful. It, it, it submits itself. It doesn't push its way around. But he finishes by saying that faith, hope, and love remain. These three things and the greatest of these is love. But he begins, but he begins when he when he begins to, to unpack this, this concept of faith, 
and of hope and of love, he begins by establishing that faith is more than just knowing. Because, because and he reminds us what we already know, we've, we've heard it in the Bible, that even the demons, right, even hell recognizes that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even hell does. So it's, it's not enough to say, oh, there's Jesus, he's Lord. You have, to, you have to know it more than just in your mind, you have to know it in your heart. And he writes it this way. Intellectual faith is no more than empty belief. True and living Christian faith by which we are born of God is more than mental assent and cognitive understanding. True faith is a disposition that God forms in the heart. It is certain trust and confidence in God that through the merits of Christ our sins are forgiven and we are reconciled to God's favor. It's, it's, it's this, not this, this stuff of the head only. It's the head and of the heart that understands what God has done for us. And he, he goes on to say that one of the fruits that comes with this, this, this faith that has been firmly planted in us is peace. It's the kind of peace that Jesus promised. He, he writes, Wesley does, It is not entered into the hearts of unconverted people to fathom this serenity of soul. And not even spiritual people can find words to express this peace. All the powers of earth and hell are unable to take away this peace that comes from God. But he's establishing that it is available to those who have been born again. And it is impossible for those who are outside of this, of, this, of this movement of the Spirit that moves us from old to new, that changes us from the inside outward. We, we just don't have that kind of peace. I, I came across this, this thing on peace the week after Christmas, and, and, and it, was, it was God that gave it to me. And, and ever since then, I've been reading the Scriptures, and I've, been, and I've got this peace in my head. Hear me, hear me, I've got peace in my heart. But I've got this, 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 this concept of what God wants us to know about peace. And, and I'm telling you, every day that I'm turning the page, there's James talking about peace in a different way. And there's Galatians talking about peace in a different way. And Ephesians, I mean, I, and, it's, and it's over and over again. And I'm looking forward in, in a couple of weeks to, to teach on peace and Jesus as the one who is peace. But Wesley establishes that, that peace comes with faith. He, he goes on to begin talking about hope. And he does so quoting St. Peter. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed on account of his vast mercy. He has given us new birth. You have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But, but, then, but then Wesley goes on to write about how hope has an impact in our lives in the midst of suffering. Connor, uh, you know, Connor and I team up and, and we visit folks. And, and he called me yesterday morning. And you said that he wanted everybody to know this. He called me yesterday morning. And, uh, and, he, and he wanted to fill me in that, uh, that Doug Moody, we've been praying for Doug, and I don't know how many of you know Doug. Um, he is faithful in the 830 service. That Doug's been in the hospital in December, and he's been in the hospital 
um, again in January, and the doctors have come back, and, and they've told him, you know, not the best news. But, but Connor said, and it's exactly what I've been encountering with him, that, that as Doug talked about bad news, he did so with a conviction and a hope that, that doesn't make sense apart from what, what we know to be true in the scriptures, exclusively available because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And Wesley writes this, he writes this, and he's talking about Doug Moody here. When sufferings abound the most, the consolations of God's Spirit much more abound. Through hope, the children of God laugh at destruction when it comes. God's children laugh at pain, hell, and the grave because they know him who has the keys of death and Hades. The the world will know we are Christians and they can recognize it by faith, hope, and love. And, And finally, Finally, Wesley writes that the greatest mark of a Christian who's experienced new birth is love. It is love for God plus, right? It's God plus. Wesley writes, the necessary fruit of the love for God is love for our neighbors and for every soul that God has created. Now I want you to pay attention because we're going to spend a second with this. Including our enemies and those that even now persecute us. Christians love everyone even as they love their own souls. But he says, enemies and those who persecute us. But then in the next line, he writes, our Lord has expressed it still more strongly. Okay, hang with me. Follow the sentence structure. He talks about enemies and those who persecute us. And then he says, but, but Jesus has one-upped that. He's expressed it even more strongly, and this is what he says. Love one another, just as I have loved you. How do we we understand, how do we make sense out out of this statement that we're to love our neighbors and those who persecute us, and that and that the and that the more strong you know, commandment of Jesus is that we're to do that because he's loved us except for the fact that we have been the enemies of Christ. Except, the, except for the fact that we have been those who've persecuted the kingdom and his work. And it's true. Every one of us, I mean, I mean, I, re- I read the words about, about that we're to love our enemies and those who persecute us, and that's what it means. That's what it means to love God and, and fulfill the commandments. I read those words, and I'm like, you're stepping on my toes. But then he takes it a step further, and what he's exposing me is, exposing in my life is that exactly. He loved me in spite of who I am, and it's changing me from the inside out. And I know that we're a church that stays quiet, but every other church in town would be saying amen right now. But you guys do your thing, all right? You just sit there, it's fine. Keep doing your show, Scott. But before Wesley closes, he turns the question back onto the audience. 
It says, I'm, I'm asking if the spirit of Christ and of glory rests upon you at present. Do not say in your heart, I was once baptized, so therefore I am a child of God. I truly regret that the work done in your baptism will by no means automatically continue throughout your life. How many baptized gluttons, drunkards, liars, and common swearers, abusive critics, and gossips, and then a word that my wife told me I shouldn't say in church was included in the sermon, followed by thieves and extortioners are there. What do you think? Are these people now the children of God? This is John Wesley in a published sermon from three centuries ago establishing that just because you've been baptized, just because you got it right once, doesn't mean that it automatically sticks with you, that somehow that mojo once will just carry with you like some fragrance. Because the truth is, the world knocks it off of us. I mean, these are stern words. But he considered the topic important enough to warrant them. It's not enough to have received this new birth and and the Holy Spirit once. We have to continually seek it out. Once is not enough because, because once still allows that the sin that would trip us would soon establish itself and root itself so deep in our hearts that we would be lost again. This is, this, is how, this is how Wesley ends. And it's, and it's more words than I could throw onto the screen. All that you do not have, all that you, try that again. All you that do not have these marks of the new birth on souls, whether you are baptized or not baptized, need to receive these marks in your lives. Without them, you will certainly, certainly perish everlastingly. If you have been baptized, you have only one hope. Those who were made children of God by baptism but are now the children of the devil may yet again receive power to become children of God. They may receive again what they have lost, the spirit of adoption crying in their hearts, Abba, Father. May all who prepare their hearts yet again to seek your face receive again that spirit of adoption. May they again receive the power to believe in your name and to become God's children. May they know and feel that they have redemption in your blood, the forgiveness of sins, and that they cannot sin because they have been born of God. Let them receive a new birth into a living hope and purify themselves just as he is pure. And because they are your children, let the spirit of love and of glory rest upon them. Cleanse them from every defilement of body and of spirit and teach them to make holiness perfect and the fear of God. For, for, for many folks, the new year, four weeks past, seems like a month ago. But, but what if the new year was God's moment to do a new thing in your heart that desperately needed it? 
Do, do, we, do we think any of us that, that somehow the, the window of God's opportunity to work in our lives has passed? Have, have, you, have you thought in the last few moments that maybe faith, hope, and love aren't as present inside of your heart right now as they have been in the past. Have you paused to ask, can others recognize these marks in me when they look upon me? When when they hear my speech, when they see my works, Wesley nails it. It's not enough to have been baptized. It's not enough to to have gotten it right once. May the power of God turn us around and make us new again. Because, Because the next chapter that he wants to write in our lives is greater than any that's been written before. But it only happens if we allow it. This is my prayer for you. And it's it's my prayer for me. Let's pray. Gracious God, may your power and your grace be at work. I confess with my head that you are Lord of the universe. Lord, get it into my heart. I say with my words that that my hope is placed in you. But I so often stumble before I take hold of it. And my words and actions fall so often short of what love truly looks like. Lord, forgive me. Forgive us. Free us. Make us new. That the world might see it. We pray. In the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen.